Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. There's been a lot of talk about booing in the last in the last week, and it struck me. I don't think I've ever really booed in anger. Uh, you know, the only case I could think of, I used to, I used to love to go and see Humble Pie, Mark, back in the early seventies. I love. Of course, you pie. did. I love the pie. The pie. You can't knock the pie. I and I'm more. And I'm more than one. Uh, the pie was just a great, great rock and roll group. And then, but but it was spoiled on a few occasions by the fact that uh, booked as the support were what somebody thought were a great rock and roll group. Who were the heavy metal kids? Oh God, I remember them. Yeah, and I the hate Gary Holton. Gary Holton. Gary Holton. Yeah, who looked exactly like Ronnie Wood. And they were. I saw them once. I can't remember where. I saw. You couldn't get away from them. Terrible. They're always there. They were yeah. always there. I think Gary Holton probably... was in a party that were, that I was at in 1977. He copped off with one of my mates. I can remember. He looked oh. just like Ronnie Wood. Really scrawny-looking, uh, devious character. Anyway, there's um, no longer with us, is he? And subsequently, he no became, became a TV star, Alfie and Pet and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, he did. But the point being that they used to really annoy the hell out of me when they came on before Humble Pie, and so I used to boo them audibly. You know, me and my <laughs> mate Steve, we, we, we would boo them. We, we, we make no secret of our indignation. But Are you alone that? in that? No, me and my mate Steve. No, really. but there were other people booing as well. Probably not a lot, really. You know, we just felt we were doing our bit for the pie. For the <laughs> pie. <laughs> Endorsing the by pie. Booing the support group. But have you ever really booed? I mean, I've only booed. I think I've only ever booed. I booed Sham 69. Oh, And I feel man. terrible about that now because I, I think it was because I just didn't quite grasp what punk rock completely was it was very very early on they were at the music machine 
And I was just horrified by their just ineptitude and their total lack of what I would describe as any kind of musicality, which is an appalling thing to think, because that's not the point of Sham 69. And it was only weeks later that I realised actually they were really charismatic and quite interesting, just like the, like the noise they made. I think I was a bit kind of horrified by them. I booed 10cc when they came oh, on wow. at Nebworth because they were an hour and late, late, and that run. was because, of course, they were delayed by the yeah, yeah. roadies cutting the cables and all that. Um Otherwise, no, I may have booed Colonel Bagshot when they appeared at the Reading Festival in 1971, because I remember thinking they were the most lumpen, awful, wretched rock and roll <laughs> band. And I wanted to see the Ian Matthews band playing Woodstock. And I wanted <laughs> to see Rory Gallagher and various things, so I was impatient. But no, I don't think so, really. No, I so just have, have you booed at sporting encounters? You, would, you, oh, wouldn't, I, you wouldn't boo a national anthem, would you? I wouldn't boo a national anthem, no, but I... Funny enough, I'm not against people who do, because I think it's part of the whole thing that's happening right now, which is that people who've never been to a football match are watching football matches and starting to legislate about what's the right and proper way to behave. Whereas what they're actually doing is arriving midway in an in-joke, you know, in something that they don't understand. Booing the national anthem is just part of, I think, reasonably good-natured destabilising of the other team. I don't, think, I don't think that's booing the nation. You know, I think that's just, just the kind of wrong-footing of the opposition. It's no different from QPR supporters, you know, whenever we played Grimsby, you know, doing singing, sing when you're fishing, you only sing when you're fishing, and, and making gestures of fishing rods. It's just a way of annoying and winding people up. So I don't. Th- I think it's just part of the rhythm of the way football works. I don't. Well, I don't. I don't think I wouldn't do it. And uh, but I don't mind people doing. All right. It. Okay. Do you I, object uh, to it? I do really. Yeah, I do. I think it's disrespectful. <laughs> you know. It's a it's a pantomime of respect that whole thing you know it's built up with more and more of these rituals around games you know but that just seems it seems disrespectful to me. What anyway, I find what I, I find more more irksome is how terrible our national anthem is. It seems yes. and inappropriate. You know, well you, as you Billy Connolly Billy Connolly famously years ago said it ought to be replaced by the theme from the Archers. That's uh, good, but you know because it's a, it's more peppy. Yeah, <laughs> it's faster. But- when you see a load of people bursting into Allons enfants de la patria, oh, absolutely. Le jour de gloire est arrivé, you think well, it, that's what we want. Yeah, well, <laughs> you don't want to be saving our gracious queen. Well, it's like the Six it. Nations every year. You know, it's it's almost when the Welsh play the French, it's the two great national anthems, and the rest of us all might as well go home, you know, because yeah, yeah. You know, all the other ones are all in varying degrees corny and tragic. Anyway, so that's Boeing dealt with. Um, did you see the story about Dua Lipa? I did see that. Yeah, I did uh, see that. Pop and sensation. Now, as far it, as I can see, what what happened, I think, was that a photograph of her queuing up at an airport in 2019, she then shared on her uh, on her Instagram or her Twitter account, didn't she, which has, uh, without permission or authorization, say the <laughs> agency who took it, uh, to the 65 million, I think it is, followers that she has. And they are seeking $150,000 worth of, uh, of uh, compensation. And their reason for that is that they say that her Instagram and her Twitter are acting as marketing tools, you know, and she's built that up in order to sell product. Well, Dave, to be honest, that, that, everybody does that. That's the point. Of I mean, you have a Twitter account in order to say, I'm a part of it because it's really good fun. You can communicate with everybody. But also you say, nearly everybody says, by the way, I have got something to sell. 
know, I've got a book out or I've got a film or I'm, you know. No, yeah, but I mean, but more if she if she's doing millions, that it's different. It's a different kind of. She'll be making a lot of money out of that, you know. But what strikes me as really interesting is that. Um, is that it, it's like the old media complaining about the new media, mm. you know, that if photo agencies used to used to make money, they, they sent snappers out to take pictures of people unbidden, you know, uh, and, and I don't know what the copyright position of a picture taken in an airport is, actually. Is that public property? I don't know. Is that, you know, is that... I don't know. Public access? I'm yeah. not entirely sure. But anyway, the convention is they've done it for years. They take pictures of celebs arriving Heathrow and so forth, and they sell them to newspapers or magazines or whatever, and thereby they make the money. Nowadays, there's, ha- there's hardly any market for that at all. There's hardly any market for it, but also what's... Well, the, I mean, you can't me. sell them to Instagram. That's the interesting yeah. thing. And so Dua Lipa sees the pictures, oh, well, whoever does her socials, she won't do them at all, you know. And think, thinks we're, we're going to post that, and uh, and the agency really cross because they're not getting paid anymore. Because really, they'd like to be paid by the biggest, most powerful medium, which is Instagram. Which is Instagram. It's not the oh, sun. Their market's dried up completely. Cool. It's completely gone away. But also, and, they're hoping that they can generate over hundred thousand pounds out of a picture of her at, a, at an airport. That's very unlikely. I mean. If it was a really valuable photograph, i.e. it was a, a portrait by somebody well-known or it was a picture that might possibly be on the cover of Time magazine or it might be in a book or it might be an extra, you know, if it had some other dimension to it, then you can understand it them being aggrieved. And, and a lot of those pictures do get stolen by people on, on, on Twitter. But this, I mean, how what, how many times are you going to run a picture of somebody queuing in an airport? I mean, I just... But, but you know, if, if you were her... And somebody's saying your your picture, and you want to run it on your website. You run it on your website. You don't go to them and ask permission, do you? No, not I mean, strictly speaking, by the letter of copyright law, you probably ought to. But really, is she going to do that? Because they've only taken the picture of her because she's famous enough to have to have twenty million followers on Instagram or whatever. That's you know the whole economy is turned on its head by that whole thing, you know. It's going to be interesting to see. Will how she win that case? You think? Well, there won't be a case, will there? Because no, nobody will want to engage a lawyer. You know, they'll just be hoping that, uh, be that some kind of settlement is reached. A few hundred quid finds its way yeah. this way or that. You know, I can't believe it'll ever go to court. But um, watch this space. The Word Podcast: Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. So, did you see that somebody had posted the other day? Um, an account of which songs Bob Dylan had played the most live uh, since I think the uh, the Never Ending Tour started, which would be about whatever it was, 81, 82. Um, and how many fr- times he played I've, them? I've got it in front of me. Oh, right. And how many times he played them? It's absolutely amazing. And to put it in some kind of context, if you look at Paul McCartney, uh, that I think since 1982, he has played Let It Be 680 times. Mm. The Stones, I think, have played Jumping Jack, Flash, 1,167 times. Brown sugar, uh, 11.36. <laughs> but, but Dylan, because he basically does basically nothing else apart from Play Life, has played All Along the Watchtower, which is his most popular song. Let's say it together. 2,000. 2,000. 
268 times. <laughs> now, I'm sorry, but I just had to get out the calculator. Whether that, now, let's assume it's about seven minutes of time. I think it'd be more, probably. That's 264 hours. That is 11 days of his life, 24 hours a day. So if he started playing all along the Watchtower, live with a band on Monday morning, he would finish 24 hours a day the, the Thursday of the next week. I mean, that is just, it gets across some idea of the manual labour and the grind, don't you yeah, think? It's, oh, it's, you it's know. interesting. So it's just whiz down these, all along yeah, the on. Watchtower, like a Rolling Stone, Highway 61, Tangled Up in Blue, Blowing in the Wind, Ballad of a Thin Man, Don't Think Twice It's All Right, It Ain't Me, Babe, Over to You. Oh, Maggie's Farm, Things Have Changed. That's interesting. Things have changed quite recent, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Rainy Day Women, he's played 963 <laughs> times. Lovesick, again, quite recent. Mr. Tambourine Man, Summer Days. Recent, isn't it? Summer Days is 20 years old. Yeah, he recorded that, I think, in 1991. <laughs> Just yesterday. 20 years yeah. old, and he's yeah, done 1991, times. Mark, let's remind you, is 30 years ago. Oh, it's 30 years. Sorry, it's 30 years. <laughs> Go on. Sorry, yeah, 10 years old. Masters but, Award, just like a woman, simple twist of fate. And then we get it's, it's, it's all, all right, right Mara. Yeah, I was amazed. 72 times. I was amazed that was there, actually, because I always thought of that as a really long song. Stuck inside a mobile and then thunder on the mountain. Thunder so, the they're, mountain. you know, they're quite a few from sort of relatively recent, uh, relatively recent records. I tell you what, it struck me. Um, Two things, two, two, two omissions. Uh, I don't know if these are further down the list, but we just can't see them. Um, knocking on Heaven's Door. Oh, right, yeah. It's Forever clearly, Young, too, I thought. Well, just, that's exactly the other one I was going to say. Yeah. Forever Young. You know, they're, they're kind of the classic staples, aren't they? You know, they are. you know I don't know. If you, go, if you went and looked on Spotify and saw what his most streamed things were, they might, might well include some of those things. But he, does he never do those? Well, uh, I guess he must do, but they're just just he hasn't done them thousands of times. I suppose. You know. I suppose. So. I guess he must. But I mean, I just think it's extraordinary. The idea that you, I mean, that was a good day's work, wasn't it? The day he wrote all along the all along the Watchtower. You know, the idea that he could play it two thousand two hundred sixty-eight times in his life and will carry on doing so is absolutely astonishing. Yeah, yeah. And also, you do get—I get some sympathy with how hard it must be to feel excited about. It. But then again, when you see James Taylor or. Paul McCartney or Paul Simon or something, they do look as though they're in the moment. They look as though they 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 haven't fallen out of love with these songs, you know. No, no. You get the impression with him that he's just had it with them. <laughs> that they're a chore, <laughs> they're an albatross around his neck, and oh God, I've got to dig this out again. Anyway. Was it was it James Taylor sings uh people who play pay good money to hear fire and rain again and again. Again, 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 again. 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 That's right. It's a great line. <laughs> That's Listen, I, I, I started this thing a few weeks ago about, uh, you know, when I got a new CD player. That I, yeah, yeah, I yeah. Started take, I started dusting off old CDs and taking them out on dates like they were, you know, like well, like I was trying to revive the spark of romance with them. And I've, I've continued to have success with this, Mark. And I want to know if you know these records as well. Yesterday I was playing, I got this out. The Jayhawks, Tomorrow the Green Grass. Have you got that record? I've got some Jayhawks. I think I've got that one. I love that the Jayhawks. Such a good record. God, I lost and one about 20 years it, ago. Fabulous. It, well, okay, that record came out in 1994. So yeah. <laughs> how many years ago is that, Mark? It's no, a long time. Uh, it's a long time. <laughs> Hollywood now you know how reliable my maths is. Yeah, absolutely. 
absolutely. <laughs> Hollywood Town Hall, which is a record came out before them. And I think one of the things that makes them really good is they got they got two at the time there. Was it Gary Lewis and uh, and Mark Olson? So they got two songwriters and two singers, and and you really do get that kind of hard days night. Live off them, you know. Yeah, they've got a very slight. They've got a different tone, like the yeah, DBs too. The, the really... Holes Apple and Stamey. They've, they've got a different tone to their vocals. And like, I... um, yeah, like the Fountains of Wayne too. Two very yeah. distinct differences. Yeah, yeah. So I've enjoyed that enormously. I played it a few times yesterday. I tell you what. Also, do you know it was that period in the late sixties, early seventies, where it was very common for for um, bluesmen to be put in the studio with kind of their rock star um, fans. Oh, you know? yeah, it would always be Bill Wyman and uh, Eric yeah. Clapton. Yeah. So the London Howling Wolf Sessions, or yeah. Yeah, Muddy Waters with, uh, I don't know, you know, Nicky Hopkins and so forth. And very often those things just didn't work at all, I think. And I've heard loads of them. You know, they all sound rather tired. Let me introduce you to the one record that is an absolute exception to that rule. And I don't know if you know this. Freddie King's record, Getting Ready. Do you no, know that? Okay, this comes out in 1971. Funny that. And it's produced by <laughs> Leon Russell and Don Nix, and it's got Leon Russell's band on it. Yeah. You, you probably know this record because you probably heard it from um, Going Down, which is a bit of a staple still of kind of rock and blues radio. Freddie King, I think, was that was my favourite of the three kings, B.B. Albert. Freddie. Oh, he's fabulous. He wrote further, further on up. Uh, further uh, well, on up no, road. not yeah. really. No, I mean, it's Hideaway and things like all those, yeah. all those nifty instrumentals that Eric Clapton made his name out of doing yeah. with John Mayall and Driving Sideways and things like that. They're all Freddie King tunes. He was largely an instrumentalist, but, uh, but a really good singer as well. But boy, this record's good. As a as a as a genuine rock and roll record, I'd hugely recommend it to anybody who likes anything in that uh, in that particular neck of the woods. Freddie King, like, Greg, getting ready. Oh, what have you got? I've just got to say, I was playing this yesterday. This is Garen Watkins. Garen Watkins, who I absolutely love. He's called In a Bad Mood. <laughs> yes, his, so his titles for his records are so funny. Because well, if you're called Watkins, which is such kind of an unrock and roll uh, name, you either change it or you make a virtue out of how. How funny and how cumbersome yeah, it is. Because yeah. he had an album called Watkins Boulders Love. Do you remember that? Yes. And one called Dial W for Watkins, which I think is really funny. <laughs> but this is, he was great. He was the well, Nick Lowe's uh, keyboard player for a long time, and also Ben Morrison's, you know. I think he's absolutely wonderful. Really lovely. It's got, it's got a duet with Nick Lowe on it, and it's just, he's so soulful, and it's got this crystalline production. And also, it features the Hammond organ. And I'd forgotten, Dave, the Hammond organ. What a beautiful thing that is. What an organic sort of living, breathing sound. Yeah. I can remember seeing Steve Winwood once playing a little showcase and sitting right behind him, he was playing Hammond, and thinking how extraordinary it was to watch as a piece of kind of mechanical action. You know, you, you, you play the chords with your left hand, you play the melody with your right hand. He was singing, obviously, as well. You're also opening up little uh, tone controls. With your knees, you're operating different volume swells. And with your feet, you're playing the bass. Isn't that incredible? It's a beautiful, beautiful sound. That's a great record. This is a junction in the Word podcast. It separates that bit from this next bit. Well, we're delighted to be joined by old friend and, and colleague, and also our man at the football, Nigel Tassel. Hello, Nigel. You're no, right. Hello, welcome. 
if there, so, yeah, there's an intersection of music and football, I'm your man. Yeah, yeah there's your, the, you're the man. And uh, particularly this morning, now we're recording this first thing Sunday morning. The likelihood is a lot of people won't hear this until Monday or whatever. And so whatever is going to happen tonight will have happened by then. So we won't get into that kind of detail. Other than we're suffering the agonies of the damned right now, and Nigel, I don't know if I don't know if you're the same on this. You know, we've just been arguing with Alex because Alex has, has kind of arrived at football about a week ago and thinks it's all <laughs> rather exciting, and everybody else is going, "No, this is pain. This is just." Are you feeling that, Nigel? Not too bad. We're we're a, we're a household that's divided between Wales and England. Oh right, um, and and the kids tend to. You know, they, they kind of favour the underdogs, so they tend to favour Wales at football anyway. Um, so we're not, you know, I'm not, there's, there's no flags on my house, put it that way. Of no, course. But, but the, if the, England the, the, lose, you're going to cause, there's going to be great happiness in one half of the house anyway, isn't there? Yeah, that's, that's well, fine. yeah, my eldest is being, every time he watches England, he goes and puts, he's got an England top that he bought at Primark, and he, he wears that, but also goes, it'd be really funny if they lost. So he's, you know, he's, he's quite he's, simple. Yeah. Not, I think yeah. what Dave and I are finding difficult is that a um, load of people who we suspect have probably never been to a football match are going on in, in the street about how exciting it is going to be tonight, you know. And football isn't really exciting. It's, it's a kind of, it's pure agony, really, isn't it? From, from, the, from the moment the whistle blows to the moment the game's over. And you it know, should be, because otherwise you've got no investment in it. Exactly. It's just going on the background and it, it won't affect your mood for the next hour, two hours. It's like, okay. It's just, a, you know, it's just a TV show that you've then switched off and gone and done something less interesting instead. We were yeah. talking about, we were talking about the famous picture, already famous picture of the Prime Minister and his wife watching the football and she's got an expression on her face such as nobody ever had watching a football match which is a smile of contentment nobody nobody ever watched a football match with a smile on the face they're either you know wrapped with with nerves or or dancing around the room because it's all going their way you know there's there's nothing in between is there no no and and also you don't watch a football match perched on the edge of a an occasional table which uh, you don't. No, you don't. you don't. There was an amazing interview with him. I've never heard such waffle. He talked about we showed a lot of character and a lot of uh, a lot of uh, passion and drive. You know? oh, he God. said, "I felt it could go wrong at any moment." And the piece at the time said, uh, "And it could have gone wrong." They could have asked him to explain the offside rule. You know? <laughs> <laughs> this guy completely out of his depth. I mean, when when you've got Jacobs Reese Mogg quoting the John Barnes rap from World in Motion in the House of Commons. There's something, there's something it's something gone too far, really. It's, it's gone bad. Anyway, yeah. what we wanted to talk about was uh, was the the relationship between uh, you know, pop music, the songs that are taken up by crowds at football, and we've we've had an example of this in the last week or so with Neil Diamond's "Sweet Caroline" coming along. And how does this happen? What's the What's the history of this happening? Is this the, a genuine folk folk art? You know the way these things occur. What do you think, Nigel? It can be. It can be. There are there. I've looked at this, and there are there are several routes to to where we get to a song being really cherished and taken to heart. Now, with "Sweet Caroline," anyone would think, oh, you know, this this is a, an occurrence that's happened in the last week, ten days, and it's you know this kind of grassroots momentum that this song has become this new unofficial anthem. The roots of Sweet Caroline being played at sporting events goes back to the late 90s of the Boston Red Sox. Right. And it was purely, and this is just, this is why we're here talking about it 25 years later, an employee of the Red Sox 
became a father to a daughter. They called her Caroline. So the next game, the guy who's operating the music plays a song in tribute, plays Sweet Caroline. The Red Sox win. Oh, maybe this is a good luck thing. So it continues to be played. And since then, it's gathered the momentum because other visiting teams go and go, oh, that's good. God, isn't their crowd really up when they really together? And so other other fans, other other clubs, other sports will then take it on. Oh, but um, no, wasn't there a really significant thing that happened that, that, that when the Boston Marathon happened soon after that, the New York Yankees then played it as tribute, didn't they? That's right. And then that's I think Neil, Neil Diamond himself came to the Red Sox Fenway Park and performed it. And I think that got everyone... And aware that this really, really played. cemented it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, and then, you know, anyone who's been to an England One Day International in the last five, six, seven, eight years will know that they walk back to their cars with that song ringing in their heads because it's been sung at them and played at them umpteen times. Um, so this notion of... It's, it's, but it's really interesting why it's been taken on suddenly um, by the football team. And it's purely because the other day, after the Germany game, the guy operates pressing the play on the on the cassette deck. I like to think of it. Um, <laughs> was going to play Vindaloo, which right. has that na 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 na, which I'm joining, yeah. but it's still very word heavy. The verses and people don't really couldn't really quote it. So I think he plays safe. This will be a thing that gets the stadium together. Hit play on Sweet Caroline instead, and it's in danger amazingly of, of usurping even three lions as the kind of unofficial anthem of the progress of the, of the team. Well, it's been the... adapted, isn't it? You've got all those, the oh, 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 and then you've got the so good, so good, so yeah. good, after the kind of good times never seemed so good, which is brilliant. That's just been invented, isn't it? It's, it's kind of disappointing that he's just, he went for the safe option and didn't, you know, bearing in mind so many clubs, so many national teams have used it since, that he, he went for the soft option. But but it's a that's a history of of the DJs at the, at the grounds playing it. We, we think about the most famous... Sporting uh, adapta- um, adaptation of uh, a pop song is obviously "You'll Never Walk Alone," and those roots are exactly the same. In the mid '60s at Anfield, they used to play the top ten records before a game in reverse order from ten down to one. Now, for the four weeks that "You'll Never Walk Alone" was number one in 1963, obviously that meant that was the last song played before they came on. It being a Liverpool band, you know. People had a special affection for that, sang along, and then it was used ever since. And so, but then with that, it's really interesting because that's not just the fan song, the club has kind of taken it. So yeah. in 1965, the FA Cup final against Leeds, on the eve of that, Bill Shankly is on Desert Island Discs. His final song is You'll Never Walk Alone. The next day, Kenneth Wollstonehome, when he hears it sung at, Win- at Wembley as he's commentating, calls it Liverpool's signature tune. Oh, and thereon, it's just absolutely, absolutely crystallised as the song, you know. So going back, going back to my my question, it's it's not a kind of bottom up thing, really, is it? It's a kind of top down thing that is taken up by people. Is that fair to say? It, I, I think it's a split. I think it's that, but there's also um, examples. Well, so it's in, we've got DJs playing, but we've also got social media can play a part in in particular uh, circumstances. Now, the Scotland team, you would have seen, have taken on Yes, Sir, I Can Boogie as their yes. unofficial song. And you think, I mean, all these songs have no relation to the country, the team, or even necessarily the sentiment. Because you, you don't want a footballer boogieing whilst he's supposed to be playing football. <laughs> yeah. um, but that, the, 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 the roots of that is, the, is a Scottish player, Aberdeen player, uh, Constantine, who on his stag do dressed up in drag, 
and sang this and the video got posted on social media. So then Scotland on their qualification game against Serbia are filmed in the dressing room singing it. He's part of the squad and they're yeah. singing it. That then goes viral. And now it becomes a fans thing. So there's a, it's a grassroots thing. And, there's, and the same in the way with um, Will Griggs on Fire, um, which was huge uh, sort of five, six years ago when all it was was a Wigan fan uh, adapted Freed by Desire by Gala, put lyrics to it, which saluted his favourite forward, Will Grigg. Um, it's, it's not a masterpiece of literature. He's, he's, he's no Betjeman, you know, he's, he doesn't <laughs> know meter and rhyme too well. But it was just this guy sitting in front of his laptop, as I'm doing now, in his house, just belting this out, these lyrics. That went by four and a half million views later, you know, it, and, and then when Will Grigg gets called up by the Northern Ireland squad to play in the 2016 Euros, you've got Northern Irish fans right across Europe. Yeah. Um, just, just you know, in bars singing it. Will Griggs on fire. Your defence is terrified. Will Griggs on fire. And it's just that. But also it's got that element of na-na-na-na-na-na. So it's got yeah. that little yeah. sing-along. Yeah. You don't yeah. have to know the words aspect to yeah. it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, no, I was thinking of this the other night when, they, when uh, well, Three Lions and so forth. It was loads of people singing it at Wembley. Presumably they're getting the PRS from this, aren't they? Because this is... This is being broadcast to hundreds, of scores of millions of people. Isn't it? You know, it's a, it's still a huge earner, isn't it? That kind you must of thing. Think the PRS if the stadium play it like Seven Nation Army, they play the the riff, don't they? When a goal yeah. is scored, so yeah. obviously that's a performance. But if the crowd are just singing it and there's not a backing track, as it were, playing, do you think it's, they get? It, it's still the song. You're still the, you're still. So it's you're a performance of the song, yeah. not the record. The song. So yeah, they'll get the publishing. Uh, yeah, there'll be some kind of PR. There's that lovely, some lovely shots of uh, Skinner and Badil, you know, singing their own song at Wembley the other night, and they must be feeling fantastic. <laughs> this coins well, tipping into their pocket. Well, oh. imagine if you are a, a a member of, and let's 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 call it bluntly, one hit wonders, the Fratellis. You know, yeah. you never having to work again when you see probably it probably takes two people to carry the check into your house. Because um, it's so big, it gets played after every try at every rugby match. It seems to, you know. Um, oh, really, Chelsea Dagger, you know. So um, three lions. Obviously, as I say, we don't know the result of tonight. If if England won, surely that song then has to be retired. Because the great thing about that song was it's about failure. It's about yeah. the celebration of not making it at all. It's a decades of hurt. Exactly. Yes. No. So it. It may be retired, but obviously there's a long history of, of songs being misunderstood and that not affecting their popularity. So, you know, it's still got that chorus, three lines on our shirt, you know, so people will still, you know, that will still be a song. I but, suppose so. I suppose. But it's very interesting how, as it looks like, you know, as, as the team gets better, makes it to the first final in 55 years, that the song about failure is being usurped by this celebratory sing-along song, which has nothing to do with football whatsoever. You know, it's 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 about um, it's John F. Kennedy's daughter, isn't yes. it? It's about, yeah. yeah. Um, so there's absolutely no relation, but just because of the joy and good tidings and happiness it it, it endows. So, what's your personal favourite um, music football crossover? Well, I'm I you know we, we, we're talking about how it's top down. I love the songs that show the humour of the terraces and it's come 
so songs that have adapted lyrics. So we have let's go west, you know, easily adaptable. So you know, one for you, Dave. Stand up if you're a Tottenham fan. Stand up, which is a nice, easy way. You, you, your team only has to be two syllables, so it's it's one size fits all. Yeah, yeah. Brighton, yeah, yeah. Palace, Brentford, Arsenal, it, it'll all fit it. So that's fine. Yeah. Um, we have Mrs. Robinson, uh, which is a bit trickier because you need to put in a footballer who's got a five-syllable name. So yeah, here's, it's here's, here's very Cantona or something, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah Adrian Cantona. So I've worked it out. There's, there's three play, people, players that you can work with with uh, the England squad currently. So Trippier, Saka, and Henderson. So you know, here's to you, Jordan Henderson. All right. But I've I've also watched this in action, and this is one of the the one of the best. Being at a football match, but nothing to do with the football itself, experiences I've had. When I was uh, researching one of my previous books, um, I went on the road with Tranmere fans, um, and it was a game at Forest Green Rovers, who were famously the world's first non-meat, non-dairy, non-eggs Absolutely, club. yeah. So, so the, uh, the wit of the Tranmere fans, Tranmere fans, all the tension had gone out. They were 2-0 up early on, early on. Really, the result wasn't in any danger. So they started having a big sing-along. And not only were they singing along, just having a sing-song, they sang, I remember singing uh, Erasure's Respect. Just, I, know, I was waiting for the adaptation in the lyrics. There was no adaptation. They were just having a good sing-song. Why <laughs> Erasure? No idea. Also, just can't get enough. Obviously, big fans of Vince Clark. Um, and, uh, but because of the vegan nature of the club, the wags on the terraces then started adapting songs. So we had the referees of Egan... Okay, yeah. Uh, um, town full of vegans, you're just a town full of vegans. Okay, yeah. But the best one, and I won't sing it, but imagine it to the tune of When the Saints Go Marching in. Marching in. And it, because they'd never played each other, this is Tranmere's first time in non-league in 92 years. Forest Green yet to be a football league club. So never played. So it was, it was definitely made up on, 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 the, on, the, on the hoof. And there's a pun there, actually. Yeah, um, Oh, Birkenhead is full of beef. Oh, Birkenhead is full of beef. It's full of beef, beef, and more beef. Oh, Birkenhead is full of beef. <laughs> Fantastic. So I, I love that just catches on. It's so exciting. <laughs> exactly. I don't, so every time they would then come subsequently play at Forest Green, you know, they had a ready supply of songs. Um, in my, I'm, I've been fortunate. I've just, I've got a new book coming out, and I've been fortunate for the last season spent be able to get into dozens of matches just on, on, on the pretense of writing this book. And one game I took our friend Ian McMillan to go and see his precious Barnsley. Oh, right, um, of course. We managed to, managed to get him into, into, the, into the press box. And he was telling me, I mean, we were talking about the lack of crowds and everything like this. And, of course, he was the poet in residence at Barnsley for a number of years. And it was always his ambition to, uh, to get the crowd singing one of his poems as a chant so he write a very simplistic poem that he put in the Barnsley Chronicle, and it was in honour of their new German keeper, who was called Lars Lees. I'm just trying to quote Ian, because I don't want to get it word for it. So he put this poem in the paper. Lars Lees, tall as the trees that grow in Wombwell Wood. Lars Lees, listen, please. We think you're very good. Not, not one of Ian's most sophisticated efforts. Anyway, picked up. then he's at the match a couple of weeks later and he hears some lads singing it. I've arrived. Yeah, this is fantastic. I've written a song that they're going to sing. With Ian, of course, there's, there's a punchline to the story. And in fact, the keeper's name was not pronounced Lars Lees. It was Lars Laser. 
thus rendering his, his lovely six-line rhyme completely redundant. But there we are. But yes, the, the idea that you can come up, you can, or even just adapt a song, and then it's taken on by the crowd, not just in that game, but in subsequent games, that's got to be... That's, Great thing, I do. Isn't? I love that idea that there was a QPR had a, a, a midfielder called Mark Bircham years ago, and I can remember him arriving. He used to dye his hair blue and white in the QPR stripe. And on his uh, pretty much second game, obviously the gang had sat in the pub and worked out that you could work out uh, a version of "Can't Take Your Eyes," "Can't Take My Eyes Off You," which is "We love you, Bircham, because you've got blue hair. We love you, Bircham, because you're everywhere. We love you, Bircham, because you're Rangers through and through." And that was just. That was within on his second game. It's just magic. The entire place picked it up. Invention, you know. It's just really great, really great. Yeah, it's a it's a sadly a thing that uh, there has to be in decline because there's so many overseas players in the Premier League that you wouldn't hear. You know, you're 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 dealing in a different language. You know, whereas. Whereas you do that kind of song, it's immediately apparent to the person you're singing it about, yeah. isn't it? Whereas it wouldn't necessarily be with loads of people. So what's your latest book, Nige? Plug your book. Oh, I've got my book. It's called, um, it's called The Hard Yards, A Season in the Championship, uh, Football's Toughest League, which is me, um, again, still, still following that uh, uh, glory game Hunter Davis imprint of spending a season sort of immersing myself in football. Um, so similar to my non-league book, The Bottom Corner, it's me spending the season going round, just finding out just finding out what it, life is like in the championship, which is a fascinating league. Um, it, obviously, access was a bit of an issue this year, but we managed to get around it. So speaking to players, chairman, fans, um, there was a danger, that, of course, the season would get cancelled mid-season and therefore my book would get cancelled mid-book. Um, fortunately, that, that's been all right. But yes, that's out in... Uh, August the 19th by Simon Schuster. Well, nice to talk to you, Nige. Thank you very uh, much, Jess. And um, you know. enjoy tonight if you can. <laughs> oh, I'm all right. I haven't got too much skin in the game. I mean, I, I really like this squad. This is what, you know, I wouldn't have cared in the days of Bex and Stevie G and JT, but uh, I care a bit more. I think these lads, and, you know, with a sound manager, um, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm, I'm more willing to will it to win. Will Don't to you win. find it extraordinary that there was a, there was a, a post, wasn't there? There was a message from the Queen to the team saying how much she uh, uh, approved of their uh, deportment and their behaviour and everything. <laughs> just, just, I can't adjust the fact that these are footballers. And what footballers? They used to be in a dentist chair, didn't they? Doing shots yeah, yeah. the night before, you know. Yeah. What's happened? It's, it's, gone the, it's gone the way of rock and roll, hasn't it? There. It has. <laughs> it has. The Word Podcast. Fix yourself a drink and it's like being in the pub. All right, any other business? We're joined by Alex Gold. You're right, Alex. Hello, I'm, I'm excited. Which oh, I've you been, didn't get. Which I've been told I'm not allowed to be. You're it, not it, allowed it, to be excited. You're excited about the football, which is a very kind of Johnny come lately uh, emotion to have, attitude to have. You did a gig this weekend, didn't you, Alex? I you did, did, I did a gig. An actual real gig. It was a wedding in Lincolnshire. You played an indie wedding. An indie, it was an indie wedding with indie and indie songs only, wasn't it? So yeah. Razor Light, was it? White Stripes? So, yeah, so instead of, you know, Mustang Sally and uh, Stand By Me and all that kind of stuff, there was uh, Seven Nation Army, which is uh, obviously a great romantic number. Uh, Take Me Out by Franz Ferdinand. Uh, Mr. Brightside, Stone Cold Banger. Last Night by The Strokes. Chocolate by the 1975, which is, you know, after even my indie period. So I felt like a bit of a charlatan doing that. But uh, it was great. It was absolutely brilliant. It was so good just to be playing again, you know. Um, good, good. 
And this but, was with a bunch of musicians you'd never met before until you just turned up. Yeah, you just turn up. You don't rehearse. You just learn the records and you turn up. You never met the band before. And you just go. It's it's bizarre when you think about it. But it made me start. It made me think. You know, whether in twenty years' time, weddings will be populated by songs by Stormzy. Um, well, yeah, possibly. Is, is that the way things are going? I don't know. I don't know. And a very interesting point. Could can you do revival? Can you do hip hop revivals and and rap revivals? I'd say because then they they depend on the person who did them in the first place. You can't kind of do a version of those things, can you? Or can you? uh, That's the thing. Hip hop and rap isn't uh, traditionally covered, which is quite quite interesting. Um, well, because it's, it's too hard to do, I would have thought. You know, there are lots of words. That's the problem. Lots of words, and that's a words. really good point. Is, is there a covers band that does, you know, straight I, out of Compton by NWA? I, I, I want to I know. Can't imagine that it can be somehow. We want to know. Why would I, that be as good as playing the record? It I, I, if, if there was, I would go and see them definitely. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe that's for a future week. I've been. I've asked people out there in Podland whether they have any agenda items they wish us to discuss um simon benson says tommy or quadrophenia i haven't listened to either of them in years um what, alex do you have a view on this tommy or quadrophenia quadrophenia without a shadow of a doubt it's got love rain over me and that's that's, that's right, it that okay. seals it for me so the answer simon is quadrophenia from the from the jury it's as simple as that John Parkin says, I want to know our opinion on multi-disc reissues of classic albums. Nice idea, but after the initial excitement of unboxing and playing the bonus disc once, are they forever to remain on the shelf? What do you think? In the bonus disc meant to be just played once, isn't it? Really, isn't it just outtakes? I mean, it, how often would you play an outtake? You don't. It's just purely like looking at sketches for a masterpiece. You see, yeah, I you think, stick them on your iPad. And, you know. I think this is nothing to do with music at all. I think this is all to do with something that is very it has a very powerful hold on us, which is shopping. Because the beauty <laughs> of a of a box set is the box. Yeah. And yeah. Ooh, getting the wrapper off, and oh, it's got a so and so, and it's got a so and so. That's eighty percent of the enjoyment, isn't it? Really. Imagine opening that up the upcoming uh, All Things Must Pass box set by George Harrison, getting out the little miniature garden gnomes. Oh, that's exciting, isn't that's it? What is it? That? That's 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 the joy of it. That's, what, that's why the people post yeah. pitch, post pictures, they post uh, clips of them um, unboxing things on on YouTube, which is a whole great um, strand. As Stuart Robin says and points out that the Boo Radleys have reformed without their key songwriter. Is this the case? And he says, has this ever gone well? Well, I can think of one example, actually. And I don't know if you call it reforming, but Fleetwood Mac toured a year ago, two years ago, without Lindsey Buckingham, didn't they? And they, and everybody appears to have got their money's worth out of that, you know, because they, they replaced him with some very high-grade you know, um, well, Neil, the, Neil the, Finn and Mike Campbell. And yeah, the Pink Floyd is surely the classic example of that, isn't it? I mean, you know, it's not, once they've written the songs, you've got the songs. You're playing the songs. You just, the person who wrote them doesn't really matter. Oh, there you go. Harsh word from Mark Allen, but probably true. Okay, Ben says, watching the recent Robbie Robertson, the band documentary of BBC4, that band had one, five insanely, insanely talented musicians who also two had worthy solo careers. Can any other group of five members top that? So I, I was going to take issue with this, Ben. 
Yes, sure. Because, because they didn't, but they didn't all have really good solo careers, did they? I mean, that's that's the interesting thing about the band is none of them had a particularly successful solo careers, did they? Because they all needed the group, didn't they? And that they didn't. Applied, Rick, Rick Danko's didn't work at all, did it? I don't and think. Liam and Hell kind of made a few, you know, yeah, quite pleasant records. Uh, did, did Rich Manuel ever make a he must have? Done. I think he did, but, I don't, don't remember, but, but not in a big way. And even Robbie Robertson, he needed the rest of them, you know. So, I, I yeah, I can't really think about it. Although, somebody poppies from a tray points out that Genesis have all, have all had loads of seller records, which are you know, which are by their own lights kind of successful. We were talking to somebody in a and a birthday podcast, weren't we, this uh, this yeah. week, who had, um, who had happened upon Genesis quite early on and had followed them through via all their solo records. And he was saying they're all quite good, which I'm, yeah, I'm sure they, they probably are, you know, but there aren't that many groups that that applies. Yes, put out, all put out solo albums, didn't they? They, they did. Too badly. I mean, <laughs> I Chris I Squire. Know. Did that, did that Chris sound? Squire. Chris Squire's fish out of water. Fish I out of water. Was, okay, That's I, right. Yeah, called. yeah, yeah. And um, and John Anderson's Elias of Son Hillo, who could forget? Um, but uh, I don't think any of them did as well as Rick Waitman. Uh, Rick Waitman did. Uh, what else? Well, we, we... we interviewed uh, the, the, the great columnist Ian Leslie the other day, didn't we, for a word? Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. And he had this wonderful uh, philosophy that pretension is a force for the good. Yes. So I will now forgive uh, Anderson for that, uh, that album title. Absolutely. Phil Turner. Oh, just mentions that. Um, I don't know. Did you ever meet Jonathan Coleman, Mark? Did you see that Jonathan Coleman had died in Australia? No, I didn't know. Jonathan Coleman, John O. John O, he, he used to he used to broadcast in the UK. He worked for Virgin over here. I met him at a dinner. I sat next to him at dinner. A really nice guy. Uh, sadly died um, just the other day in Australia. And uh, he used to work for Virgin. And uh, and this uh, Phil Turner, reading about his death, it reminded him, of, made him think about Virgin and Richard Branson's space projects, which, of course, they're all today, full. isn't it? Is it today? I think it's today. Yeah. Oh, God, <laughs> Nine days ahead of uh, Elon Musk, I think. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Oh, oh just it's have awful. you ever, have you ever met a normal human being who wanted to go to space? I haven't. No, I over haven't. the age of five. <laughs> I know it's the most pathetically self-interested thing is all he can talk about in interviews is how he's going to feel when he's on the edge of space and you know and really oh, the millions of pounds gone into this sensation really, just for him i saw this real. this thread on. on twitter someone was talking someone who worked for nasa was uh rebuking this uh this sort of conspiracy theory that you know they're all racing to get into space so they can eventually take you know the upper echelons of the human race out there you know to be safe or whatever oh is and, that uh, it it's basically this 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 guy was just saying you know space is really uncomfortable if they're racing to get up there it's not to take human humanity further there is no way that even richard branson can make space feel better than it does living on earth um because it just the whole thing is really uncomfortable and, and even going to the toilets like a 16 stage half an hour long kind of rigmarole and it's yeah, it, it, it's every kind of previously undiscovered territory is, has that in common doesn't it really when you go there it's really unpleasant there are loads <laughs> yeah. of things to kill you you know that's basically <laughs> That's basically how it works. So anyway, what the point Phil Turner was making is surely is that Branson has had absolutely nothing to do with music for ages now. Well, 
I t- you see, I think the interesting thing about Branson is I don't think he ever had anything to do with music in the first place. He was he was interested. He started doing the mail order thing, which became Virgin uh, Retail, which became Virgin Records. Just because he was publishing student magazine, but all the all the uh, the correct decisions he made, I think, were based on advice from other people, weren't they? Simon Draper, Sign Culture Club, Simon Draper, Sign Culture Club, Sign Sex Pistols was probably his idea. I can't remember, but I don't think he felt particularly passionately about. I, I, he wasn't the one who felt passionately about Mike Oldfield. I did. I'm told he didn't even have a record player. He didn't have a record player back in the in the late sixties, at a time when anybody with long hair had a record player he didn't he had no interest in it at all so but he's he just retained that association with that yeah. what i can't get over about virgin is that is that um you know they've done all the you know, the virgin brand has been attached to all sorts of things most of which haven't worked but it's still there you know what i mean because normally it's the worst thing you can do is attach your brand to something that doesn't doesn't fly you know it does, it does. But two or three of them did, and we still remember that, don't we? Virgin Records, Virgin Atlantic. And those ads. The, the most brilliant thing he did was decide that he was going to use himself to promote Virgin, as if it was a kind of little cottage industry. Yeah. Here I am with my aeroplane at a, at, a, at a gas station, filling it up with petrol. That no, was a really think, clever idea. Actually. You know what I think? The key Richard Branson idea he had early on, which is wear pullovers. That's yeah. all he's done all throughout his career. Wear pullovers. So don't dress like everybody else. Wear yeah. pullovers. And wear pullovers people, that look like your mum might have made them. You people know. think you're different. You yeah. Know, from and you're down home and ordinary. Oh, whatever. So thank you very much for your um, for your agenda items. Have we got anything further to add this week? We've got next week, we've got our word in, word in the park on the 17th. Uh, Indeed, you can still get tickets for that. Yep. I'd be delighted to see you. How will people get tickets? There's a link underneath this. There's, There's that, a link Alex. underneath this in the show notes. And you can also go to wiyelondon.com and there is a ticket widget on the uh, on the front page of the so website. So next time, next time we record one of these, uh, we'll be we'll be full of everything that went on there. And won't you be sorry if you missed it? <laughs> this podcast was brought to you by the word. <laughs> <laughs>